Hello, this is the Neurodivergent Woman Podcast. Hi, I'm Monique Mitchelson and I'm a clinical psychologist. And I'm Michelle Libok and I'm a clinical neuropsychologist. Michelle and I met at work and bonded over a shared love of feminism and yoga. We both saw the need to provide a free resource to adult neurodivergent women. And so the Neurodivergent Woman Podcast was born. Michelle is neurotypical. And Monique is neurodivergent. And we bring our clinical expertise and lived experience to the topics we explore. This is a podcast where we center and showcase neurodivergent women from all walks of life. Covering autism to ADHD and everything in between, we aim to educate and inspire women who think differently. So today um, we're privileged to have Dr. Tanya Murray with us on the podcast. She is an autistic woman and the principal project officer in the All Kinds of Minds team for the Department of Education in Queensland. So nice to have you on the show, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So Tanya, we're here today on the podcast to have a chat about uh, your work project and have a bit of chat about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, because we've had quite a few requests with the podcast for us to cover this topic. I'd just like to ask you uh, to tell us a little bit about what is neurodiversity inclusion in the workplace? What does that term inclusion and diversity actually mean? Okay, so before I answer that question, um, I would like to do an acknowledgement of country. Just want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands uh, from across Queensland. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging for the memories, the traditions, the culture and the hopes of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across the state. A better understanding and respect for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures develops an enriched appreciation of Australia's cultural heritage and can lead to reconciliation. This is essential to the maturity of Australia as a nation and fundamental to the development of an Australian identity. I also want to tell you a little bit about myself. I am female with a light complexion, medium length blonde hair, grey green eyes, and I'm short of height. And I am wearing a dark grey long sleeve top. So why am I taking this approach by telling you how I look? By describing ourselves, we are being inclusive for all people, such as people who might be vision impaired. So it's important to make sure that we do describe ourselves when when doing presentations or podcasts so people get a feel for who we are. That's about being inclusive. So let's talk about neurodiversity, um, neurodiversity inclusion in the workplace. So what does it mean? Well, inclusion is making sure that everyone can contribute to the workplace. It's about respecting difference and implementing strategies to enable everyone to participate. It is important as it helps to ensure employees feel like they belong to the workplace. And that feeling of belonging is really important, which is why we talk about inclusion and particularly inclusion for neurodiverse people. In doing so, this helps people feel valued and bring their whole selves to work. This is why inclusion in the workplace is so important. To quote Werner Myers, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. That's a great definition, Tanya. I love that kind of, um, you know, expanding on not just diversity, but the idea of inclusion and how do we actually kind of help people, exactly as you say, bring that whole self into the workplace. So can you tell us a little bit more about um, what your team does in that space and how you kind of enable that or, or what kind of projects you guys work on to, to make that happen? Um, well, I'm actually in the All Kinds of Minds team. So we look after um, neurodiverse people in the workplace. In particular, we look after what we call um, the neurodiversity pilot side. And I've helped run the pilot this year. So I'll talk a bit about that in a minute. Um, And as I said, I support neurodiverse staff in our um, corporate office and also neurodiverse staff in our schools. So that would be teachers, teacher aides. So anyone who's neurodiverse right across the entire department of education so um and this is about making sure people are available about what sorts of supports are available to them um in the workplace 
And we also provide, well, I also provide my team and I provide um, general awareness about neurodiversity. So we regularly run awareness sessions to help provide people who are not neurodiverse about what neurodiversity means. But I've got to emphasise um, our focus is on workforce. Um, it's not on students. So we are, are purely workforce. And so what are some ways that, you know, you can kind of meaningfully uh, achieve inclusion in a workplace setting? I guess the first way to achieve inclusion meaningfully is to accept that you might need to change the way you do business. And that was at the point where where, um, we came to that things needed to change. It's also okay if you don't get it perfect the first time. Um, and it's okay if you make mistakes along the way as you're learning to, to um, build, you know, meaningful inclusion in the workplace. And one of the ways to do that is to actually invite your neurodiverse staff along to workshops as we did so that they have an active role in shaping that change in the organisation and learning from neurodiverse people and, in, and, and embracing a different approach. So because it is to achieve meaningful inclusion, you do have to make change. As the saying goes, nothing about us without us. But also learn from experts in the field, such as the Diversity Council of Australia. They've got a wealth of information about how to create inclusive workplaces. So that's where you're tapping into the existing expertise and accessing it. But also learn from other organisations who have already been doing inclusive workplaces. There's some great um, examples around such as Deloitte and IBN. Um, so it's about following following best practice and also seek continuous feedback and improvement. It's not just implement something, it's continuous and reassessing as you go and ask yourself, what can you do better? Yeah, I really love that comment about being open to feedback. I think that's really important. Yeah, and I think um, just for myself, what I really take from what you're talking about with, you know, how do you in- achieve inclusion in the workplace? To me, it sounds like uh, making a workplace so that neurodivergent people would feel safe to apply for a job in that particular workplace. They feel like they're going to be welcomed and be able to be themselves without maybe having to hide the fact that they're neurodivergent due to safety reasons um, and maybe be able to unmask in the workplace and feel accepted for who they are. Um, Another interesting point is I did have a little look at the Diversity Council of Australia's website and it looks like uh, you can actually as an organisation or as an employer go on and there's a little program that you can go into where you can rate what your organization or your business is like for neurodiversity inclusion. And you can actually get that feedback about how do you measure up with the the average sort of business in Australia and like the best standard as well. Yeah, it's it's and the Diversity of Council of Australia is such a great organisation, and and my department certainly has been working with them for 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 some time, and they are just yeah one of those ones that they really are the experts in the field. So and they do a conference each year, which is also really helpful, um, and they certainly cover neurodiversity there. Yeah, it looks really good, and they they seem to do some really good research as well. Okay, so can you tell us, Tanya, about what can employers do to create a better inclusive culture at work? Well, the best way to do it is to actually um, create awareness about neurodiversity and help people see neurodiversity from a strengths-based approach, so a positive view. So, for instance, um, you've got to encourage people to flip their thinking and that's how I I term it Uh, it's about flipping your thinking and it's going from a deficit approach to a strengths-based approach and what I mean is um, looking at the creativity the innovation that neurodiverse people bring to the workplace and not focusing on on that deficit model 
and and that's what we do. We we showcase um, the strengths that neurodiverse people bring to the workplace. And also, the other thing that you can do to help create an inclusive workplace is by using language. And language is really important, and that's why we talk about this strengths-based approach because that's part of that language. Um, and also using the language preferences of the neurodiverse person. So, so don't speak for them. So, for example, I use identity-first language. Um, so, for example, I'm autistic, but I know other people prefer person with autism. So that's about going with the language preference of the person and what suits them. But also language is important about how we um, describe people. So, for example, instead of describing a person as blunt, flip it and say they are being direct and to the point. So, again, it's about shifting from that deficit approach to a strengths-based approach. And the other thing is to make sure whatever you do is inclusive in the workplace. So make sure that decision-making, meetings, work documents, events are all inclusive. So, And this might mean making tweaks to the font size of documents for people who are vision impaired. It might mean turning on captions setting in Teams. It might mean using an Ausland interpreter. But most of all, it's about creating a safe space to share views. And that's important because we all do have different perspective. And inclusion is making sure everyone feels like that they can contribute safely in the workplace. Yeah, I love that point there, Tanya, about, um, you know, coming from that strengths-based perspective, particularly when it comes to uh, the language that we use around, you know, different traits that people might have or the way that different people might approach different things. And, you know, as I've said before on the podcast, I believe um, there's no kind of inherent good or bad trait. Nothing is inherently good or bad. It just is. And when we create a space through language to actually honor the strengths in certain traits, like all traits have a strength and all traits have a weakness, right? It just depends on the situation, the setting. And when we open that space to say, you know, the example that you gave, being direct and to the point, right? That's a great trait in so many different situations. And when you actually create that space through language, um, it allows both the neurodivergent person to see themselves in that way and to see the strengths of that trait, but it also allows other people, you know, to also see the strengths of that trait as well. Um, I'm a really firm believer in the power of language in creating ideas, stories, spaces, you know, within our community. So I love that. And I think, you know, it really does have to come from um, a systems level. Like it has to come from the organizational level rather than the individual employees um, trying to make that change. And that's where things like having these overarching strategies or frameworks for organizations and businesses to put in place has such a profound impact on changing culture and, um, you know, supporting neurodiverse people to be included in the workplace and share their viewpoints and ideas. Yeah, to, to me, it sounds like part of... Um working on inclusion in the workplace too is acknowledging that people can have multiple diversities um, as well. And so I think it's really important to bring in intersectionality into inclusion. So obviously we're talking mainly about neurodivergence today on the podcast because that's what we focus on. But yeah, it's really important to acknowledge that neurodivergent people in the workplace may have other disabilities. They may come from different cultural backgrounds. They may have different genders or sexualities as well. So I think for a workplace to truly be inclusive, you really need to be inclusive of, of all of those different intersecting factors. And we did have a bit of a chat about intersectionality in season two with Paige Crystal Wilcox, um, which was a fantastic episode, which I'd encourage people to check out. So, Tanya, how can people recognise if a workplace is inclusive from the very first signals? For example, how a job is advertised, the job interview, the office environment, and how people communicate in the workplace? Yeah, well, I guess in the first instance, it's important to acknowledge this is an evolving space. 
and we're still learning. As I talked about um, earlier, people, we do make mistakes as we go and we're still making changes. And so when you're looking at a truly inclusive workplace, understand that organisations won't always get it right straight away and that it's one of those things that, that we're still learning. But the starting point, I suppose, is look at the language used in job advertisements See if the advertisements ask if you have special requirements or adjustments. So that's a signal that they're inclusive because they will give you an adjustment, say, in the interview or in the workplace. See if the advertisement mentions what we call workplace adjustments. So um, that's what we what we call them in the workplace. So most people are familiar with the term reasonable adjustments, but in the office we call them workplace adjustments. Also look at the recruitment processes. So, for example, we know neurodiverse people actually do better in assessment centres than the uh, rather than traditional uh, interviews. And the reason that happens is because in assessment centres, neurodiverse people have the opportunity to showcase their variety of skills sets over a few days and in different activities, not just in that compact 20, 30-minute interview where you've got to give uh, eye contact. So traditional interviews can be difficult because there is a lot of eye contact and many neurodiverse people don't like eye contact. I've learned how to give eye contact, but it's not something I particularly uh, enjoy myself. Um, Direct questioning can also often make neurodiverse people uncomfortable, which is why, again, assessment centres, and I'll talk a bit about that later because that's what my neuro the neurodiversity pilot I'm involved in is about. Um, And with that direct questioning neurodiverse people, we often freeze up um, and we feel uncomfortable. And then the other thing to look for in workplaces is those uh, workplace adjustments and the accommodations available. So, for instance, uh, a a workplace adjustment might be uh, access to noise cancelling headphones or the dimming of lights. Many neurodiverse people struggle with fluorescent lights, so hence dimming of lights. Um, Some people might even have the lights turned off directly overhead. They're all workplace adjustments. Um, And there might also be work-from-home options as well, so to to space that out. So, And I guess the thing is, importantly, an inclusive workspace is where people are okay um, that people do things differently. So, for instance, some neurodiverse people listen to podcasts and that's okay because that noise can often help you concentrate and focus. And so I've got a little 1990s cassette radio on my desk, but I know a lot of younger younger neurodiverse people all listen to podcasts while working because it helps keep them motivated. So, um, and I guess the other thing is, An inclusive workplace is where people use multiple methods to communicate. So it's not just one. It's recognising that there's verbal communication, there's written communication, there's video conferencing. And an inclusive workplace seeks to use the communication preferences of the the person. But you've got to keep in mind it's a two-way street. So you might prefer written communication, but your boss might prefer verbal and it's often both of you it's that that two-way street and it's about respecting that communication um preference and and coming to the table yeah I guess to me it sounds like rather than making an assumption or just um just kind of assuming oh you know because I prefer things this way and that's the way it's always been done it's actually asking people hey what works best for you like what do you prefer in terms of how I communicate with you do you prefer email do you prefer verbal information and actually listening and and taking in um, and letting people advocate for themselves I think as well. I I know plenty of people who like um, the Teams chat because um, a lot of the public service uses Microsoft Teams and it's such a great way um, you can make a phone call with Teams, uh, you don't have to use your phone and the ease of which you can just give someone a ring in Teams is such and you can either have your camera on or your camera off. But as you say, inclusion really is about respecting people's preferences and coming to the table. And that's what's so important about it. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, it really just sounds like being able to meet your employees where they're at 
right? Actually realizing that every single employee is not a robot and everyone doesn't work best under the same circumstances or situations. And actually, when we think about the question of how, you know, as you say you're applying for a job or joining a team or whatever, how can you kind of best identify that you're about to enter a neurodiversity affirmative workplace or not? I think the biggest thing sounds like, is that organizational business willing to actually see you as a human being? And actually talk to you, as you guys have both said, um, and listen to your answers about how do you work best? How are you going to be the best version of yourself in a work setting? So knowing those right questions to ask all the things that you flagged, Tanya, I think is really important about, you know, how would you feel if I did this? How would you feel if I communicated like that? This is how I best like to receive instructions. And then just actually gauging are they fine with that or are they kind of a bit grumbly or worse about that, right? And I think that's kind of probably the biggest red flag or green flag. How do they respond when you basically say, hello, I'm a human being, not a robot? I think, you know, you're going to get actually the best out of your employees um, in terms of productivity, in terms of less absenteeism, like better workplace morale, job satisfaction, retain. Um, people and not kind of cycling through people leaving the organization all the time and then having to retrain people. Um, so to actually, if you are flexible and you you embed diversity inclusion within your workplace, yeah, it, it actually benefits you as the employer. I think for, for neurodivergent people too, something that can be useful to reflect on in terms of, you know, actually learning about yourself, what does work for you and what doesn't work for you in a workplace. So if someone asks, you know, how do you prefer to be communicated with, then you can actually give them an answer um, is to really reflect on what have different jobs been like for you and maybe write a list for yourself and write down a list of the different roles that you've had, the different workplaces that you've been in and really have a reflection on what worked for you in that workplace and what didn't work for you in that workplace, what jobs you felt more stressed in, more burned out in, what jobs you felt less stressed out, less burned out in, and really try to be an investigator and think about why. So I'll give you an example. When I was a university student, I had a part-time job as a waitress, the most stressful job ever. People, you know, we, we all go to restaurants and like see waitresses and waiters doing their jobs and think, wow, like that's such an easy job. No, actually being a waitress was probably the hardest job that I've ever done. <laughs> it was horrendous. <laughs> Well, it's, it's like massive working memory load, right? It's like constantly trying to keep track of everything, dealing with all the interpersonal stuff in, you know, both the customers and the staff. Uh, but yeah, that's a great example as, okay, that was a nightmare. Why? <laughs> but why? Yeah. So when <laughs> yeah, I reflect yeah. on it now, I'm like, well, now I know actually years later that I have auditory processing issues. So if people give me verbal instructions it just leaves my brain and doesn't register at all. And I also have really, really messy, bad handwriting. So even if I managed to remember what people ordered and I wrote it down, the kitchen staff weren't able to read it. <laughs> and I would forget things, leave them off the orders. I'd forget what the table numbers were. <laughs> I think the multitasking and the sensory overload of the environment definitely didn't help. But um, suffice to say, I went through a few waitressing jobs and pretty much got fired from all of them. <laughs> it, it sounds like you made a really good choice in the career change from waitress mm. to psychologist. Yeah, yeah, it worked for me. Um, whereas one of the better jobs I've had was working actually as a disability support worker one on one with clients in a much quieter environment, working with people one-on-one, -on -one, listening to what they need, and then trying to work out how do we, how do we meet this person's need? So yeah, I would encourage people to really think through their history, think about why certain jobs were difficult for you, and then think about what are your preferred requirements for being at work. 
You know, do you prefer getting notice of a change that's going to happen in the office? Do you prefer written instructions? Um, do you prefer meetings face-to-face or through Teams or Zoom? Um, because everyone's uh, preferences are going to be different. Do you prefer working in an open plan office or is that, you know, too distracting for you? Yeah, and Tanya, you know, you were saying earlier um, the communication thing being about, you know, it's two ways. Sometimes your boss might prefer to communicate in one way and you might prefer to communicate in another way. Um, But I love what you were suggesting there, Monique, about actually going through and what actually is all of my ideal kind of workplace conditions and setup? Because I find that if you don't have to be flexible in every single way, then you've got more space to be flexible in some ways. So if, for instance, all of your other necessary workplace conditions are met, you're probably going to have a little bit more space to sometimes, you know, be able to communicate or do things in a way that works for someone else. But if none of your workplace requirements are going to be, are being met, then you're not going to be able to do that. You know, it's going to be way too overwhelming and way too much. Think about your sensory preferences, because sometimes they might not be they're little things. And for instance, for me, one of my sensory issues is smell. Uh, so I struggle with cleaning sprays. So I actually, we don't have cleaning sprays around where I am. People don't use them because that's actually one of my sensory triggers. And it's nice that I can go, can't use cleaning sprays, but can we get cleaning wipes? And so this is also about presenting a solution to your sensory needs as well. So I think it's really important to to add that it's not, I need this, this, and this. If I have this, this will help me achieve this. So again, it's about taking that strengths-based approach to workplace adjustments as well. So um, yeah, I just thought, oh, that's one that I I take for granted that we don't have cleaning sprays around me because that's one of my issues. Hello, listeners. We have a request. We want to hear your questions. In our last episode for the season, Michelle and I will be answering listener questions. So if there's anything that you're burning to ask or that you feel you want more information on, email us at ndwomanpod at gmail.com. Get your questions in by November 7th and tune in to our last episode of the season to hear them answered. What are some of the strengths that you feel neurodivergent people bring to the workplace? Definitely, I think it's creativity and innovation, but also increased productivity, particularly when we're in that hyper-focus or we're working in an area that is our special interest. So I'm in a job that is my my special interest, which I absolutely love. Um, But we do a lot of thinking outside the box, although I once heard someone say we never had a box in the first place, and I think that's that's a great idea. And we come up with solutions to complex problems that other people might not have thought of because we do are thinking outside the boundaries. Um, We've got great attention to to detail. Um, I'm not a spreadsheet person fan, but I am an info dumper fan. I always read, read, read. And it's that, I guess it's importantly, it's understanding that neurodiverse people do do things differently, but that's part of their strength, the the fact that they do do things differently, because that's when you get that creativity, that innovation, and that, that increased productivity, because of we do do things differently. And that really is the strength and is the positive thing about being neurodiverse. I think it's really important to actually detail and go through those strengths that you uh, just described there, Tanya, because unfortunately, I feel like what often happens is, and this is not the case or this is not true for every neurodiverse person in a workplace, of course, but for a lot of neurodivergent people, the barrier to actually um, demonstrating their full potential is non-inclusive workplaces, workplaces where you're actually not able to thrive and really engage and 
do all of those incredible things that you just went through, Tanya, because the workplace is not set up to include that way of thinking or that way of being. And aside from obviously that impacting the individual, what a massive loss of skills, knowledge, abilities, productivity, creativity, ideas, all of these things. So when we talk about inclusivity in a workplace, oftentimes people, the first place that people go to mentally is, oh, well, this is going to support the individual right, the employee and support them with their ability to work and, you know, access workplaces, which is, of course, true. But I think it's actually just smart business. It's actually just a way to be a very effective, smart business place. And if you're not doing these things to be inclusive and include all different ways of being um, within your workforce, then you're actually just massively missing out and losing out on talent and knowledge and ability. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's definitely been research around how neurodivergent employees can be extremely hardworking and very loyal um, to their workplace as well. Um, And yeah, just giving honest feedback. So uh, there has been research around um, autistic people valuing honesty above, you know, some of the social norms. So that means that you're always going to get like really honest feedback and yeah, they're going to be an employee that's not likely to rip you off (laughs) as well or take advantage of the system. Um, So, uh, and often people will be so honest to, to their own detriment, I would have to say as well. So, Tanya, can you tell us a little bit about the pilot that you and your team at All Kinds of Minds have been working on? Yeah, certainly. I'd love to tell you about this project because I absolutely love it. So, in 2020, the All Kinds of Minds um, neurodiversity pilot was initiated. The um, ACOM for short, by the way, because I'll use that acronym rather than keep saying All Kinds of Mind. The pilot, the neurodiversity pilot, aims to establish recruitment pathways which target the strengths and talents of a diverse workforce, focusing on people who are neurodiverse. And that pilot also supports new employees into employment in the department. So that's basically what I've been doing uh, this year. So the pilot is about embedding inclusion as organisational capability through becoming a neurosmart employer of choice, through support, awareness and capability building. So I've talked a lot about the awareness session. So uh, a lot of people in the department all know me, whether it's uh, in corporate office or, or in schools, because I do deliver those awareness sessions. So the Department of Education recognised that traditional recruitment processes, processes actually posed a barrier to neurodiverse people. So that's the business as usual um, interview that we've talked about and, and how that's often a barrier. We conducted our, some of our own research that showed neurodiverse people had also high rates of unemployment, but we also found from the research that neurodiverse people actually do better in an assessment uh, centre-style recruitment pro- approach where they can show their skills over a number of days. So the neurodiversity pilot is actually uh, in five stages. So the first one was capability building, so awareness about neurodiversity, but that's also ongoing. Um, In stage two, we had an initial pilot of the assessment centre run by an external vendor. In stage three, uh, which is where we are now, we conducted our own assessment centre. So, um, And then um, stage four is considering a fee-for-service for other government agencies and stage five is basically making the neurodiversity pilot business as usual so the the way the future actually to continue with the assessment style so um stages two and three included support for employees and managers once the new employees start work with the department so basically what we're doing is we're recognising that neurodiverse people need support in the workplace so that's not your NDIS by the way or support worker what we mean there is helping understand, say, organisational culture or um, understanding government. But we also recognise that managers might need assistance as well. 
And that's about helping them understand how um, neurodiverse people might do things differently. And then they can talk to us about those sorts of things, so the employees and managers. So as I said, we're currently in stage three. So um, my ACON this year conducted the assessment centre from the 27th to the 30th of June this year. And uh, that was over at the Autism Hub because it's such a great space. Um, and uh, I was the facilitator at the assessment centre. So there I was <laughs> running it. But, of course, I had the support of my manager and the project officer. So I've got to emphasise it's a team effort. I might have been the facilitator, but a lot of people behind the scenes uh, do a lot of work uh, for, for such, such a small team but such a big project. Um, and so now that the assessment centre has finished, we're actually supporting um, the new employees um, and, and the managers. And so the support for people is multi-level. So it's tailored towards employees depending on what their needs are. Um, there's also additional tailored training um, that people might need that's specific. There's also support for managers and teams. So we really do take a holistic approach. So teams also learn more about neurodiverse people. Um, and, and we talked about that example of understanding that, say, neurodiverse people might listen to a podcast while working. So overall, the pilot takes a fresh approach to the recruitment of neurodiverse people through that assessment style. Uh, we provide an opportunity for managers to reflect on their management style and make improvements to how they work. So that's part of that multi-level approach. It's not just the neurodiverse person we're focusing on. We're also supporting managers. Um, and it's important to understand that through this pilot, we've recruited creative people to develop and to de develop creative solutions to help shape the organisation. So my department really benefits from having neurodiverse people because of all that 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 talent that they're bringing. And we're accessing an untapped talent pool to build innovative organisations and increase productivity. And that's the really important thing that by recruiting neurodiverse people, you are getting those creative solutions. You are getting that increase in productivity. So yeah, look, I, I just love being part of the pilot. Um, it's so great when you get to go to work and do something that you love and enjoy. And as an autistic person, I feel so proud to be helping other neurodiverse people. I really do enjoy that side. I, I work with some of the best people you could possibly imagine uh, and I really love doing it. And it, it's nice to know that you're helping people feel included in the workplace and safe. Um, and that's really important that you've got new people coming to the organisation and they feel like they really belong. Such a good point there about it being a holistic approach across the whole organization. So rather than just focusing on um, the neurodiverse people themselves, it's embedding, exactly as you say, embedding kind of within the workplace and supporting managers, supporting all sorts of people to know actually, how can we actually just make this standard practice? rather than, oh, we're doing this very specific, you know, approach or very specific process for these very specific group of people. It's more, how can we actually completely change the workplace culture and embed this practice within our organization? And I think that's so important because that way it almost translates it all or um, takes it from being a specialty project. Often people have varying levels of like, uh, whatever, you know, towards within a workplace to, no, this is just how our workplace operates. This is just how we're going to run our workplace now. Um, and normalizing adjustments, accommodations, meeting people where they're at, inclusion support as a standard part of practice, I think is 100% the way forward. And, and we know other organizations, as I said, like Deloitte um, and and, and IBM actually doing this in terms of the way forward. So, um, yeah, it's definitely this is the way of the future in terms of inclusion and, and diversity. And I think what it means too is that if you are autistic or ADHD or any other neurodivergence, um, it means that growing up you're not going to be worried or have that fear of, okay, because I'm different, will I have a good future? Will I have 
you know, employment? Will I be able to survive as an adult? And I think it's really important for, um, yeah, people of all ages to be able to go, oh, my God, actually, because I'm neurodivergent, look at how many amazing job opportunities I have and look at all these, you know, unique, cool jobs that I can be doing that really fit my unique brain. And that way parents, uh, if they have neurodivergent children, don't need to be worried about their children's future. So yeah, I think making these changes are really important. So Tanya, I know that your team actually received an award can you tell us about the award that you received from the Australian Network on Disability for the innovation of your neurodiversity pilot? Yeah, I'd love to tell you about this award. So just as a way of a bit of background, the Australian Network on Disability helps organisations employ people with disability and design their products and services for customers with disability. So this includes building organisations' knowledge and skills to create accessible and inclusive workplaces. They also help students and job seekers to find employment. So it's good to have a bit of context around this. So my department um, received um, a ranking first out of the 26 Australian national organisations benchmarked for the key area of innovation. So basically it was an innovation award. Um, and um, the Australian Network on Disability Access and Inclusion Index as well. So, again, that's how well we do inclusion um, for our neurodiversity pilot, which is just so awesome and so exciting. Um, so the pilot basically has helped set a benchmark for more evidence-based understanding of how, org how Australian organisations are advancing equitable inclusion of people with disability. Um, also, in 2021, we received a gold award from Driven X by Designs for our work and silver from Driven by X Designs in 2022. So it's just great. <laughs> That's fantastic. It sounds very well-deserved. Yes, and it's just, it was, it's just seeing that award for innovation is just great because you know you're doing a good thing and you're helping people more importantly. So, and it's great that we're, we're driving that in inclusion in the workplace. So I guess our last question for today is really about when you guys were kind of going through this process, were there any sort of barriers or difficulties that your team ran into with embedding inclusion in the workplace? And part of that too would be, do you have any tips or advice for other people, other organisations wanting to kind of go down this process as well or do this sort of embedded inclusion support? For me, it's not so much um, about barriers, but it's about building people's understanding of differences and accepting that it's okay to do things differently. I know I've said that a lot during this podcast, but really it is about accepting that people do things differently. And it also, it's important to understand that just because a person does something differently from you, it doesn't mean it's wrong. And that's a really important thing to understand. And also many people have no experience with neurodiverse people um, which is why it's important to have that awareness. Um, and then when they do... That, that they know of, I would say. <laughs> yeah. um, and then when they do meet a neurodiverse person, they're not really sure what to do. So, for example, should they be concerned or not concerned about how a person does things? So, again, the podcast example. Or they, um, they might not be familiar with stimming. So... Um, so I stim, I, God, I'm saying this in a podcast, my stim is picking my fingers, but it doesn't actually mean I'm anxious. I actually just enjoy the feel of that sensation. So for me, it's, it's, it's uh, pleasure and comfort and, and all those sorts of things, but some people just aren't aware that stimming um, can be for a variety of reasons. And as I said, we run neurodiversity sessions for staff to help them um, learn about why neurodiverse people do things differently. The awareness sessions also helps um, people understand what they can do to help their neurodiverse colleagues 
feel included and safe in the workplace. And that's really important about those awareness sessions, that helping others to help um, neurodiverse people so that they do feel safe, that they do feel like they belong, that they can bring their whole selves to work. So the sessions really, those awareness sessions, are an opportunity also for non-neurodiverse people to learn about how best to communicate with neurodiverse people and how to support them um, in a way that's um, strengths building, if you like. Yeah, I, I think uh, one one thing around what you've mentioned there with people not being aware of stimming, I think a really good point to make there is some of the things that people who are neurodivergent do that's really for their own self-regulation or helping them concentrate and focus on their work. And it's actually helpful to that person. Somebody else may perceive as, you know, oh, they're being unprofessional. Um, so for example, if someone's not looking at you while you're talking to them, a, a person might make an assumption or a judgment around, okay, well, they're not listening to me and they're not paying attention to what I'm saying, but that may not actually be the case. And actually that person might find that, you know, not looking um, the person in the eyes actually helps them listen more. So sometimes it's unpacking some of these things and actually getting to people to practice being non-judgmental and understanding about these things in a professional environment. Another example is recently I went to the ADPA ADHD conference down in Sydney and I thought, fantastic, I'm in an ADHD conference there's a talk in this conference about professionals who have lived experience of ADHD. So this is like, this is a safe space, you know, for me to unmask a little bit. So I jiggled my leg to my heart's content and moved around in my seat, sat in different positions, got my little fidget toy out. And, you know, I felt free to do that at a conference because that was actually helping me pay attention to the content Whereas, again, there is this, um, I guess, social rule around, well, you have to sit still to show that you're paying attention. And actually for a neurodivergent person, that may, you know, be worse for them and make it more difficult for them to pay attention. So, yeah, it's removing some of this judgment from what is perceived as being professional versus non-professional um, and the judgment that we have of others in, in professional capacities. And I was going to say, Monique, that's one of the things that we do cover in our awareness sessions. We help people understand that just because a person is moving about um, doesn't mean that they're not listening or if they're not giving eye contact, um, it doesn't mean that they're not listening. Often it's that moving about that actually helps a neurodiverse person focus to listen to what the person has said. So we we help with all of that awareness so that they understand um, and we talk about also those sensory matters and all sorts of things so that, um, again, people are, are hearing about that, that, that strength space. Instead of looking at it from a deficit perspective, they're seeing it from that strength space perspective and understanding it's okay to do things differently. So, and we really, that's so important for people to, to understand that. And it's also important to understand that um, there are neurodiverse people everywhere so um and that's one of those those taken for granted things that we know that we've got neurodiverse people in corporate office but we also know that we've got neurodiverse teachers as well uh working in our schools so i guess just to wrap up tanya what would you say are some of your top kind of actionable uh tips or steps that you would suggest for a workplace to uh, put in place to move towards more of an inclusion model? Look, there's a lot of great um, research out there on inclusive workplaces and definitely become fam familiar with that. Um, that's de and then also the top thing is definitely having those um, awareness sessions as well. Um, and it's about supporting um, the current employees as well so that they do feel like they belong and that they feel safe. Um, and they're definitely keys for building an inclusive workplace for neurodiverse people in, in, in the workplace. So, um, and also top tips is, is making sure that you do include your neurodiverse people in these discussions. It's, as, as I said earlier, nothing about us with, without us. Um, 
build on that knowledge. You've got a wealth of knowledge in your organisation. Um, access it. They know themselves best. Well, we know ourselves best, and we can really help people um, understand what sorts of supports that, that, that we need in the workplace. Um, and also keep in mind um, those supports, inclusion, doesn't cost anything. Like, it, it, it it's um, having talking to your employees doesn't cost you anything. Um, so, and often it's those simple solutions such as just, say, the noise-cancelling headphones or changing what sort of cleaning products you have around uh, or the font size that you use in your emails. All of that helps build inclusion and they're such little simple things that everyone can do. Um, and most importantly is the needs of neurodiverse people are human needs. What you do for a neurodiverse person actually benefits the entire workplace. It benefits your um, non-neurodiverse, your neurotypical employees as well because they're such a, it's such a strengths-based approach for inclusion and it helps us feel safe. We can bring our whole selves to work and we feel like we truly we all belong to our organisation. Amazing. So thank you so much for chatting with us today, Tanya. I think there's some really interesting information that you shared things that are very actionable for employees, for employers, for organisations, and just actually for people to be more aware of how we can actually move towards this more inclusivity model in the workplace. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share the project with us today. Yes, thank you, Tanya. It's been great. Thank you. I, I always enjoy coming to 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 chat to to both of you. Um, it's always a pleasure to be able to share that 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 knowledge and expertise, and particularly because I feel so proud to be working on such a fantastic project, and knowing that my small little team with all the other people that I work with, we are doing such a great job uh, in advancing uh, inclusion. Um, in, in our workplace, in, in our department. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of the people I work with. I love working with them. And it's great that I really do get to help um, other neurodiverse people too. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us further, you can head to our page on Patreon and buy us a coffee or a wine. Patreon subscribers receive access to a bunch of additional resources, as well as a monthly live Zoom hangout to ask us questions, chat about feelings, our favorite thing to talk about, and connect with other neurodivergent women. You can find a link to our Patreon in the show notes and on our website, ndwomanpod.com. We really appreciate your support on this journey as we aim to make quality psychological and mental health care information accessible to everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Neurodivergent Woman podcast. If you have a question or would like to contact us, you can do so through our Facebook and Instagram at the handle The Neurodivergent Woman Podcast or our website, ndwomanpod.com. You can also email us directly at ndwomanpod at gmail.com. Bye for now.